You're listening to the Metro LA Podcast, an official podcast of the LA International Church of Christ. Good morning, buenos dias, and happy Father's Day. I want to welcome you, everybody, to the Metro Vision Studios of the International Church of Christ in Los Angeles. It's great to have you with us. Greetings to all our family across LA, across the Bay Area, across wherever you are. Uh, it's great to have you with us. And we want to extend to you the most warmest and loving Happy Father's Day. Uh, thank you for being dads. Thank you for being with us this morning. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, there's nothing like fathers. We want to wish you a Happy Father's Day. Um, now we know not everybody's happy about that. We know that the, 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 the cows aren't very, necessarily very happy. I saw this poster and I thought, yeah, this is like the worst day of the year for them, right? Why? Well, because about 80 million pounds of beef is being consumed today. So that say something about the dads, right? I mean, I know that, uh, uh, Michelle always makes me a nice rack of ribs on Father's Day and my birthday. And, uh, that, I can't wait for that. Hopefully that's going to happen today. Um, and, but we wish you a happy uh, Father's Day, and I hope you have a great day today. We're going to have a cool little study and a good time in the scriptures, right? Father's Day is important to God. It's one of the Ten Commandments. Honor your father. Now, to be fair, it does say honor your father and mother, but, but today is Father's Day, so we're focusing on the dad. So it's one of the Ten Commandments. I mean, the Ten Commandments are the, pretty much the base for everything, right? So God wants us to honor our fathers. Um, it's one of the happiest moments or the happiest memories oftentimes come from our relationship with our dads, right? So the fondest memories, the times that we got to connect, we got to be with our dads. You know, I'll never forget. Um, and, and dads a lot of times don't realize how important you are and how much you matter. I read this uh, story one time and it was written by a young man and and, 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 and they, uh, they had his journal and they actually had the dad's journals too. And they read them both and it was shocking the difference. In the dad's journal, it was written, um, office was closed today, wasted the whole day, went fishing with my son. In the son's journal, it said, greatest day of my life, spent the whole day with dad fishing. You know, sometimes we don't realize what a big impact we have. And unfortunately, sometimes for many, it can be the, a painful memory, right? But hopefully we have good memories. Hopefully we have fond memories of our dads. Hopefully, you know, if they're alive, please take the time to honor them, to thank them, tell them how much you love them. If they're not alive, say a prayer and encourage another dad, you know, to help some, some dad who's out there being a great dad, you know, and give him some encouragement. Psalm 68, 5 says, God will be a father to the fatherless. And I love that because, you know, today's world, many, many, many kids are growing up without dads and, or the dads are so distant or so disconnected. And this happens, you know, here in, in the United States, it happens all around the world. It's, it is a global problem, the absence of fathers. So God steps in and he promises to be a father to the fatherless. And I know many of us men who are disciples of Jesus, we have found God as a father. We have been able to grow in, even in our own learning how to be a dad from God, which is a wonderful thing. You know, God presents himself as a father. That's how he presents himself to the world. It's how he presents himself to the church. It's how he presents himself to you and me. And in fact, Jesus presented God, not just as the father, but as daddy. You know, Jesus has a remarkably 
intimate relationship with the Father, of course, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But um, he invites us to that. He even teaches us when, he, when we pray. He says the word Abba or Avinu Shabashamayim, right? It, it's my father, my dad, my dad who's in heaven. My daddy. It's a very affectionate way of, of saying it. And I love that because it's an invitation for us to be that close to God and to see God that way and to relate to him that way as a loving dad, a dad who's there, a dad who cares, and a dad who will be, will help us in our times of need. That's how I present. So the million dollar question that people always want to know is what does dad want for Father's Day, right? That's always... The big question, right? And I can tell you right now, I can tell you right now what dad wants. Okay, I'll just tell you right now. It's probably, it's too late for this Father's Day. But I can tell you, dad wants a 100-inch QLED 8K TV. Guarantee you dad would love to have that. That would make him really happy. Now, what else does dad want? Well, dad would like some courtside tickets. He'd like to be able to sit right on the side, right there next to all the movie stars and be right there in the game and, and have some superstar fall on him, you know, and just be able to, to meet them and, and, and greet them and whatever. I mean, that's, dad would be very happy with that. What else would dad like? Well, dad would like a Caribbean advent, uh, vacation, you know. Okay, it could be Hawaii, it could be Tahiti, it could be the Caribbean, but dad would like to be on a relaxed chair at the beach, no offense, but no kids, and just relaxing, chilling, and having a good time. That's what dad would like. Okay, well, that's a little expensive, and probably not something most of us could actually afford any of those. Not the TV, not the courtside tickets, not the Caribbean adventure. But we want you to know, dads, that we love you, we appreciate you, we want you to feel appreciated, we want you to feel loved, we want you to feel respected, and we want you to feel honored. For all that you do, for all that you make happen, and for being the dad that you are. And we're grateful for that. So, what about God? If God is a father, what about him? What does that dad want for Father's Day? What does our heavenly dad want for Father's Day? We ever think about that. What would God, as our father, want, right? Well, guess what? He actually tells us. He actually tells us exactly what he wants, right? It's right here. There they are, the three things that, G- that God said he wants from us, okay? Need some explanation? I'll explain them in a second. So we start out in Micah 6.6, 6, and Micah is speaking on behalf of the people, and he says the million-dollar question, with what shall I come before Yahweh? And bow down before the exalted God. Basically he's asking, what do you want, God? What does God expect from me? And that's a big question. That's a big, big question. Everybody has to be able to answer in life at some point. What is God expecting from me? Right? And he even, he pushes it. Micah pushes it. And he says, will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams? With 10,000 rivers of olive oil, shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He pushes it. He's pushing it. What does God want? I mean, ever, you know, sometimes we feel that way. Like, what do you want, God? I mean, I'm doing this. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. What more is expected? 
And we all reach those points sometimes. And Micah's speaking on behalf of the people. And there's a little bit of attitude there. There's a little bit of push in the envelope there where God is, where, where he's challenging God. Like, what do you want, God? What more do you want? You, would you be pleased if thousands of rams of, of sacrifice was something that nobody, you know, nobody in Israel could afford, right? But it's, it's like, is that what you want? You want me to just make all these sacrifices? Do you want me to sacrifice things for you? Is that what you want for me to just be sacrificial? Is that what you're asking for? And he says, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil, of course, nobody can afford that. That's more olive oil than a king could be able to, to muster. But he's asking, do you want me to give a bunch of, you want me to give more money to you? You want me to give more time? You want me to give my resources, God? How much are you expecting from me? That's what he's saying. Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression? Do you want the most valuable thing to me? You want my children? You want my firstborn? And of course, this is hinting at what God will do someday, giving his firstborn for us. But Micah speaking on the behalf of the people. Says, God, do you want the ultimate sacrifice? My child? Or how about my own body to be sacrificed? And it's, it's subtly pointing towards Jesus, right? Because God would sacrifice his son and Jesus would give up his body for the forgiveness of our sins, right? For the healing of our soul. But he says, you want the ultimate sacrifice, God. Is that what you want? You want everything from me, you know? And hey, didn't I just talk about this last week in the, in the parable of the, of the cloth and the, the wineskin? Is that, God, you want me to just give it all to you? And then we see what God answers, right? He tells Micah, and I love the way he says it to him. He says, I have shown you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. He said, this, this is what I wanted from you. This is what I've always wanted from you. He says, I've shown you, mortal. And, and the way God says this is definitely, he's pushing back at Micah. He's pushing back at us. He's challenging us back very gently, I might say, I might add. Very co- nicely, compassionately, but he's pushing back. Really, the whole book of Micah, if you ever have a chance to study the book of Micah, it's actually a lawsuit. It's where God is literally suing his people. It's organized like a lawsuit. It's presented as a lawsuit where God puts mankind on trial for not, and the the lawsuit is for breach of contract. That God, that men promised to love God and they broke their promise. But this is just a little piece of it. And he says, look, I've shown you what I wanted. I've shown you, I've shown you exactly what I was asking for. And he says, O mortal. Actually, in the Hebrew, it's O Adam. It's Adam. Or translation, earth person. Or dirt man. Or dust man. I've talked about this in the past. And this is, this is where God is kind of humbling us. He's calling us dust man or dust woman. Dust person. He's, he's saying, look, dust person. I've shown you. See, the problem is, we get pretty high on ourselves. We think, well, I'm educated dust. Well, I'm super talented dust. Well, I'm good looking dust. Well, you know, I've accomplished a lot for dust. I got letters behind my dust name. You know, I've, I've done something. 
you know, I'm important or whatever. And we can get very high on ourselves of who we are. But at the end of the day, just as Ecclesiastes 3 says, from dust you came and to dust you shall return. At the end of the day, we are God's dust. And he's kind of reminding us, he's poking our pride. Because we think we're all that. We think we're incredibly important. And he says, look, oh mortal person who's going to die and return to dust. I've shown you what is good. I've told you what I want. And what does the Lord require of you? And you got to listen up because here's where it's really important. What does God want for Father's Day? What does God want for every day? To act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. These are the things that God asks from everybody. That we all act justly, that we all love mercy, and that we all walk humbly with our God. Those are the three key words I showed earlier. The first word, mishpat, practice justice. That we do what's right. That we, the second word, chesed, that we love completely. The third word, tzana, that we are humble before the Lord. That we are humble, period, really. That we walk humbly with God. You say, well, when am I with God? You're always with God. We're always with God. God is always here. It's not, it doesn't mean being at church being humble. It means being humble, period, because God is always near. Mishvat, just translated to the word justice. What does that mean? It means to be fair. Be fair. Be fair about things. Don't treat some people better than others. Don't like some people more than others. Don't give to some, but be stingy with others. Don't be generous and kind with some and be stingy and greedy or mean with others. Sometimes it's amazing how we can be very kind to our neighbors, very kind to people at work, and yet be rude and mean and oppressive at home. No, we should love everybody and be fair with everybody. Be kind with everyone. You know, and we don't always feel that. We didn't say only be kind if you feel good. No. He says, practice mishvat, justice. Be kind to everybody. It doesn't matter whether they're rich or poor, what color they are, what ethnicity they are, what language, what country they're from, what, even what, what their sexual preference are or what their religious background is. It doesn't matter. What matters is that they were all made in God's image, that we are all children of God in a general sense. We all were made in His image. And therefore, we should be respectful and kind to everyone. The same. Of course, we're going to have our children that we love and we're devoted to more than others, but we will treat everybody with kindness. We'll be honest. We won't lie to make one person look bad and, and, and lie to make another person look good. We will speak the truth. We'll live in the truth. We'll be honest about anybody and everybody. We won't, we won't make things look bad about a certain group. Or say things that make a certain political group look evil. No, we'll just be honest. We'll live by the truth. We won't spin things. We won't weigh things in a certain way so that makes some people look worse than others. We will be gracious. That's what justice is. Justice is treating people with the kindness that we've been treated with. God does not treat us according to our sins. He's very kind and He's very gracious. And we should be the same with others. That is justice. 
That is justice, even when they deserve to be punished. Because we deserve to be punished. We have been forgiven much, we should forgive much. We have been loved through, t- through thick and thin, we should love through thick and thin. Being generous. God has been incredibly generous with us. Man, if you live in the United States, you live, you're one of the wealthiest people in the world. We have been, we are live in the land of generosity. And we should be generous with others. God has given us all so much. And even the poorest of us, we have so much that God has given us. In fact, as Paul would say, what do you have that was not given to you by God? Be courageous. Stand up for others. Stand up for those who are oppressed, those who are being hurt, those who are being mistreated, those who are being treated with injustice. And we call, and there are many scriptures that call us to that. But that's what he wants. Act justly. Be somebody who practices and lives justice. That is what God wants. That is what God is looking for. Chesed. The second one. What is Hesed? Hesed is God's love. It's the kind of love that God is. It's the kind of love that God extends. It's the kind of God, it's the kind of love that God presents to us all. Sometimes Hesed is translated as loyalty. Sometimes it's translated as being loving. It is in essence love, but it's kind of love. It's a devoted love. It's a love that is totally committed. It's a love that actually creates a debt between us. That if I give to you, then we're supposed to give back. Or if somebody gives to me, I'm supposed to give back to them. It is the debt of love that Paul talks about. When Jesus died on a cross for everyone, for you and for me, suddenly we are in the debt of love because he has loved us to the point of death, right? So what is Hesed? It's, it's a call to be loyal. Loyal to our friends, loyal to our family, loyal to our church, loyal to our neighbors, loyal to one another. Why? Because we're Americans or because we're of a certain ethnicity or of a certain race? No, because we are children of God, because we're his people, because we're all made in his likeness. Be loving, be devoted, be indebted. It's a good debt to have. Paul said, no, oh, no man anything except the debt of love. I owe a lot of debt of love. I've been, first of all, totally loved by God. I've been loved by Jesus. I've been loved by the Holy Spirit. I've been loved by many friends. I've been loved by my wife. I've been loved by my kids. I owe that back. And I recognize that. And that's good. And that's a great debt to be in. That's a great pact to be in. Indebted in love. Be compassionate. You know, love has a way of making us compassionate. You know, we could see some, you know, we see some guy being a jerk or some woman being jerkish and being mean and treating people bad. And we get mad and we judge them, we condemn them. And it's easy to react that way. But what if that's our kid? I mean, we can still get mad, but we're like, come on, do better than that. Come on, you're better than that. Hopefully we don't write them off. We don't judge them. We don't condemn them. We might get in there and have a tough talk. We might get in there and challenge them. We might call them to repentance. But it all comes from love. We don't just judge them and throw them out. People do that. Even people in the church do that. There are kids that grow up in fear of that judgment. That is not chesed. Chesed, what God wants from all of us, 
And today we're talking about fathers. Is people who will love through thick and thin. They may have the tough talk, may have the challenge, but they never stop loving. Love is never in question. Love is never in doubt. Never. That's what we all need. It's what we all need. Who gets us through tough times? The people who love us. What do we most fear? Being abandoned. Being thrown out. Being rejected. I don't care how tough you are. I don't care if you're a macho, bato, loco, gangbanger. Everybody fears being rejected and unloved. Everybody. I don't care if you're a super sharp person who makes the big bucks and drives a beautiful car and all, has all this stuff. You have the same fear as the bang, gangbanger kid in the streets being unloved. It is the power of God and God is love. And it's when, it's when we love, we are most like God. What does he want? God wants us to love each other. How different our world would be if we just love each other. And it's a call to become like God, right? And lastly, sana, to be humble, to walk humbly with our God. This word is, it's actually not the word humble. It's the word that describes a certain kind of humility. It's how somebody should act in the presence of the king. That's what that word's used for. This is how you should be in the presence of the king. And I shared this before, but I, you know, when I was working with Hope Worldwide, I got to meet a lot of very powerful, wealthy, and even royalty. I met the, the king and queen of Cambodia. And before I met with them, they sat down and went through, I, I got the protocol speech. Basically, here's what you can do. Here's how you need to act. You don't turn your back. You don't touch her or him. You don't, you don't, you know, you let them initiate. You keep a certain distance. You don't get too close. You definitely don't walk up and hug them, right? And there's certain ways I had to be. That's sana. That's that humility, respectful of who they are. That's the way we're supposed to be around God. And when is God around? All the time. Always aware that God is present. Now, I've been around people who thought they were kings and queens and acted like it. But I was around a real king and queen. And I had to know how to act. And how to be humble. And how to treat them with respect and dignity that they deserved. How much more with God, our Father? Sana is to be aware. It's to be aware of He's God, not me. God is God, I'm me. I am a sinner. I am somebody who blows it. I am somebody who has sinned and messed up. But I am also somebody who is made in God's image. I am also somebody that God is inviting to know Him and be with Him. I am also somebody being filled with his spirit. That's important. That's being aware. That's being honest. That's being real. Being authentic. It's a big word that's popular today. People are sick and tired of people playing games and acting like somebody they're not. Pretending they're sinless. Pretending they know everything. Pretending they, you know, that they know the right way or they know the right political this or the right philosophy of that or the right way to do this or that. And instead of just being honest, I know some things. And there's things I don't know. Just being honest and being secure and confident in God. Because I'm not God. Because I'm not the king. I'm just me. Being truthful. I have weaknesses. 
I have faults. I have gifts. I am made in God's image. That's just truthful. It's just it, how much better the world would be if everybody was just honest and truthful. What a different world we would live in. You know, it boils down to being self-aware. Being God-aware and being self-aware. We know who God is. We know how great He is. We also know who we are. And I know my strengths and I know my weaknesses. And because I know my weaknesses, I don't pretend I'm all that. That's what He's inviting us to. This is what God wants. This is what our dad wants of us. He wants us to just be self-aware. Don't pretend you don't have weaknesses. Don't pretend you don't mess up. Be the first to apologize when you mess up. Be the one who says, you know what, I blew that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll never forget one day I, I, I was working on my relationship with my son. When he hit the preteens, we started clashing a lot. And we actually invited a couple to come every Wednesday night to our house, have dinner with our family. And we asked him for help because he had already raised two sons, had a great relationship with his sons. And I said, you know what? You've got a great relationship with your sons. I need help. And so they said they'd be willing to come over and have dinner with our family every Wednesday night. And I said, I want you to tell me what you see in me and in the dynamics of my family. And it only took a couple of Wednesdays and he sat me down. And he said, Robert, you are too harsh. You are expecting too much. You are not a friend to your son. You need to... You need to be more loving, and you need, more than anything, you need time with him. You need time. You're, right now, you're, 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 you just come across angry with him. And that's what he feels, and he's angry at you. And so I decided to make some big changes. I would spend time with him, and, and we set up that we'd spend time. And he wasn't real fired up about it. It was kind of the whatever, you know. I think he was like 12 or 13. He was at that stage in life. Difficult to love. But I had to rise above that. I had to be who I needed to be for him. And I'll never forget one day, I'd had a tough day. I'd been in some really tough conflicts on the phone. I'd, been, I'd had some tough appointments. I was discouraged. I was frustrated. And my son came home, and it was our time to spend time together. And I said, come on, let's go. We're going we're gonna to get our time. And he was like, whatever. And he got in the car, and I got in the car. And he's like sitting over here and he had his earphones on. And I, and I was mad already. I was frustrated. And I said, what are you doing? And he's like, I don't know. What do you want me to do? You know? And I said, do you even want to spend time together? And he's like, whatever. I don't care. And I was like, you don't even want to spend time with me. I Forget this. And I turned around and drove back home. And he went stomping into his room. And I went into the house. I sat down. And I knew I blew it. I blew it. I did exactly what I wasn't supposed to do. And I went up to his room and I apologized. And I told him I was very sorry and that I really wanted to have a great relationship with him. And to my surprise, he apologized to me for being a little jerk, but I was the big jerk. And we apologized to each other and we went out and we had a great time. But you know what? I had to do that. Why? Because... God loves me and has been so patient with me. And I should at least be that for my son because my father treats me good. And you know what? My son and I have a fantastic relationship. But I wasn't the only time I had to apologize. And he's not the only kid I had to apologize to. 
I remember when Sam Lang was teaching me about being a husband, he said, you need to be the one who apologizes the most and the one who apologizes first. Because you're the leader. And your mistakes affect everybody in the house. And that was a huge lesson for me. And you know, the incredible thing is my kids have all learned to apologize. At least to me and at least to Michelle. Why? Because they know we'll apologize to them. And we create that atmosphere. That's sana. That's the humility of knowing that God is there and he's watching us. And that has been a recipe for a great family. That has been one of those secrets of the kingdom. The funny thing about all these is that God really, these things that, that God teaches us really actually help us. They're really there to help each of us. It's not even for him. <laughs> it's not that God is insecure and he needs us to love him and be devoted to him. It's not that God doesn't know he is, who he is and we need to you know, praise him so that he'll know who he is. It's for us. It's for our heart to be devoted to him so that we can be healed, we can be helped, we can be transformed into what we were created to be. That we love him and each other so that love can do its work to strengthen us, to empower us, to bond us together, to make our lives so much better. To be humble so that God can teach us. So he can change us and, and make us into what we want to be. What we were created to be. Like him. When Jesus pulled the coin out of the fish's mouth, he held it up. And the people didn't want to pay taxes to Caesar. And he said, whose image, whose icon, the very word that is used in Genesis, that we were made in the image or the icon, reading the Septuagint. The very word, we are the icon of God, the image of God. He made us in his image. Jesus held up the coin and said, whose image is, is this? And the people said, Caesar's. And he said, you give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and to God what belongs to God. We are the icon of God. So we are to give ourselves to God. God bless you. Thank you, fathers, for being fathers. I want to close out with this little story. I read this, and it really hit me. It was written on the walls of a concentration camp. And it said, O Lord, remember not only the men and women of goodwill. This was a concentration camp for children. And somebody wrote this on the wall. Lord, remember not only the men and women of goodwill, but also those of ill will. But do not remember all of the suffering they have inflicted upon us. Instead, remember the fruits we have borne because of this suffering. Our fellowship, our loyalty to one another, our humility, our courage, and our generosity. The greatness of heart that was grown from this trouble. When our persecution comes to be judged by you, when our persecutors come to be judged by you, let all of these fruits that we have borne 
be their forgiveness. What an amazing heart. (laughs) I don't know how old the person was that wrote this, but wow. This was their prayer. A prayer of chesed, a prayer of misfat, and a prayer of sana. What does God want for Father's Day? He wants us to have humility, to love each other, and to act justly. God bless you. Buen camino. You've just listened to the Metro LA Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit MetroLARegion.com.